0: Once upon a time, Rex and Reba got married. They left a pretty big city and bought a pretty plot on the outskirts of a pretty nice town. They put up a pretty little house and planted a pretty green yard. Pretty soon, a baby boy arrived to make them a pretty family of three. They named the newborn Robbie, and life was pretty good. Rex and Reba loved to watch toddler Robbie play in the yard. But one day, a large yellow machine arrived at their pretty little house, and some workers began paving a pretty big road. Rex and Reba knew that Robbie could no longer play safely there, so they put a picket fence around the yard, and life was pretty good again. Robbie continued to grow, and as curious toddlers do, he learned to open the gate on the picket fence. One day, Rex and Reba found Robbie playing dangerously close to that pretty big road, and he nearly got hit by a pretty fast car. So they put a lock on the gate, and life was pretty good again. Robbie continued to grow, and as clever kids do, he learned to pick the lock on the gate. One day, Rex and Reba found Robbie on the other side of that pretty big road, face to face with a pretty mean dog. So they replaced the picket fence with a brick wall. And life was pretty good again. Robbie continued to grow, and as willful teenagers do, he learned to climb the wall. Rex and Reba found Robbie four houses down with some pretty shady characters. Rex and Reba hired a very stern guard to keep Robbie safe, and life was pretty good again. Well, Robbie continued to grow, and as young adults can do, he turned into a pretty good guy. He started to make pretty good decisions and developed some pretty big dreams. Rex and Reba, though reluctant, realized leaving home was the right thing for Robbie. Rex and Reba tore down the wall dismissed the guard and watched Robbie drive away down that pretty big road toward a pretty great college and a pretty bright future. And life was pretty good again. Today, the shape we're looking at is the square. Now, in the story that we just heard, Robbie's parents, Rex and Reba, are essentially using the square as a guide to try to help him understand What out there in the great wide world is going to be harmful for him and what's going to be good for him? So ask yourself this question If Robbie wanted to please his parents, if Robbie really wanted to know that his parents were happy with him, what should he do? He should stay in the square, right? Isn't that why they put it there, why they built the fence and put the lock and made a brick wall and brought out the guard? Because what they really want is for Robbie to stay in the square. But is that what they really want? As you think about it from his parents' perspective, it's probably something closer to, they, they really just want him to be safe and well, and they think the square might help. If you think about what his parents really want, It's to be able to teach Robbie, so that when he goes out into the wide world, he'll know how to balance freedom with responsibility, how to avoid what's bad, pursue what's good because what they really want is not so much for him to stay in a square, but it's a long loving relationship with their son. So as we use the metaphor of the square today, I think you could ask that same question about God. Now, There are a lot of ideas out there about who God is, what God is like, if God is even there. And yet I think it's fair that for all of us, wherever you stand on that spectrum, when you hear someone talk about God, even if we wouldn't necessarily verbalize it, there's something that comes to our minds for what we think God is like. So if I wanted to please God, If I really wanted to know that God was happy with me, what should I do? Well, it feels like the answer must be, stay in the square. Like, figure out all the rules and keep them all so that God will know I'm doing a good job. In fact, that's why I love the metaphor of the square. Because it lets us ask this question. How do I square things up with God? Is it? follow all the rules completely, follow them good enough? What does it look like? And of course, by being square, we don't mean being boring, but actually the phrase means something like to no longer be in disagreement, to no longer be indebted to a person, to be even with someone. So if it were true, if God is real, if God does have a standard, if there are things he would tell us are harmful or good, if I was going to stand before God someday when this life is over, how could I know, how could I be square with God to know that he would look at me and say, hey, you don't owe me a debt, we're even, we're good to go, come on in. You see, the Bible talks about that actually a lot. And it's easy for us to think of the Bible as just a book of rules, especially because the first five books in this 66 book collection are called The Law. And yet, when the Bible talks about being square with God, it actually describes it very differently. In fact, we're gonna look at a letter by a follower of Christ, a man named Paul, who was writing to some others of his friends who were trying to understand who God is, what he's like, how do we square things up with him? What's really interesting is that the Bible, instead of using the phrase be square, it takes that same concept, but it uses the word justify. And so look at how Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter five, verse four. He says, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So there's a lot going on here, but, but look at what he says to them. If you're trying to be justified by law, if you think that keeping the rules and staying in a square and get everything just right is the way that you would go to God and say, I deserve blessing." I deserve benefits. I deserve heaven. I deserve a good life. Whatever that is, if you think that you're going to go to God and justify yourself, prove yourself, try to demonstrate that you're squared up with him by how well you've stayed in the square, by how well you've followed the rules, he says, you actually don't even know Christ. But, but didn't God write the rules? I mean, doesn't that become a little bit confusing? Well, that's why he also says, what's happening there is you've fallen from grace. You see, grace is the idea that God gives us something we don't deserve. Because truthfully, to be square with a perfect God means that I have to be perfect. That I would have to keep every rule perfectly every time for my entire life. I don't know about you, (laughs) but I'm not even going to pretend that that's happened. Like Paul actually points out that it's not even like if I say, how about from now on, God? I'll, I'll do better from now on. Well, I've already failed in the past. So if we try to justify ourselves by rule keeping, we actually end up condemning ourselves because I know I haven't stayed in the square. Uh, maybe I meant to, but there's times where I kind of have one foot outside or, or times where I actually wander miles away and I'm facing a big mean dog like Robbie in our story. And I've got to admit, I haven't stayed in the square. I can't justify myself that way. You know, it helped me think about this to imagine the tallest building in the world. This is the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. And I love that they put it around all these other buildings that are only like 10 stories high, so it looks even crazier But this building, the tallest building in the world, is half of a mile tall. Now think about how important it is for any building, especially this building, to be plumb, to be parallel, to be square. See, when it comes to building, you and I know that if the foundation is a little bit crooked, by the time we get two stories up, let alone half of a mile up, That that, that thing's a rhombus at best, not a square, and the whole thing is going to topple. That's why architects, when they make their drawings, when they design a building, all the calculations have to be exact. Everything has to be perfect. And yet, reality does not often match the perfect calculations. This is maybe not shocking, But did you know that even after the architect draws the perfect calculations, what would be exactly square, somebody still has to go build it. And reality doesn't match the perfect drawings. In fact, because of that very reason, in construction, they have what they call tolerances. That it's meant to be perfect, but it's okay if it's off this much. If it's that kind of material, it can be off this much. If it's gonna be that tall, it can be off by this much. In fact, I actually found in one engineering journal uh, this phrase that no engineer can be absolutely sure that any given structure will resist all loadings that could cause failure. They can only have large enough margins of safety such that a failure is acceptably unlikely. There are just too many unknowable factors. Now... I don't know about you, but if I'm on the top floor of the Burj Khalifa, I don't want to hear anything about acceptably unlikely failure. I don't want to hear about unknown causes. I want to know for sure that this thing is square. Now, of course, we're we're just talking about buildings and talking about construction, but a lot of times that is how people approach God because that's how we approach religion. In fact, other than Christianity, every other religion in the world says, here's the square, do your best to stay in the square, and that's how you're going to get God's blessing. But God describes something different as Paul is writing in the book of Galatians. Because God wants us to know for sure that we can be square with him, that we can be justified. So just a couple sentences earlier, he wrote, Stand fast, therefore. Stand firm on a square foundation. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And to not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. One of the key themes, not only of this letter, but of all of Paul's letters and all of the New Testament and all of the Bible, is that just like Robbie in that story, God has outlined things so that we would know what is helpful for us, what is harmful for us. But none of us have kept that perfectly. None of us could. And the burden of trying becomes a yoke of bondage. We are like slaves to trying to justify ourselves. But the main message of the Bible is that I stand fast, I can stand firm, not in my ability to be good enough in my career, in my behavior, as a dad, as a husband, not in my ability to be good enough, but in the fact that Christ has made us free. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that we are free from trying to justify ourselves. The pressure of trying to be everything that I think I should be. Because one way that we try to get out of this is by deciding that, God isn't real, that there is no universal standard. And yet you and I both know, as I go through my life, there are times where I would say, I was not as good of a dad as I wish I was. I was not as good of a spouse as I wish I was. I wish I had been more effective in my career, at my job. Well, what am I measuring that against? Right. There's some sense in me that there is perfect, and then there's me, just not quite perfect. Or at times, Me, woefully not even close. If God is not there to set that standard, then it just comes down to whatever you think, whatever I think, whatever somebody else thinks. And there is nothing that people do wrong in the world that makes us angry even in this season of life that we can actually say is wrong because it might just be your opinion. But if God is there and his standard is perfect, then that becomes an incredible burden for me to try to live up to which is why the Bible talks about how Christ can make us free. I was actually having this exact conversation with a friend of mine a couple of years ago. David is a guy that uh, I've been in some study groups with here at Horizon, because for all intent and purposes, he's awesome at staying inside that square. (laughs) You know, sometimes uh, I think in David's life, I know in my own, and and for some of us, we we sometimes make that square even smaller. We add a lock, we add a guard, because if this is what might get me in trouble, then I'll try to stay here. So I'm not even close. And David spent a lot of energy and a lot of anxiety in his life trying to keep up with the square. And when I asked him why, as we sat and drank coffee at Starbucks one day, he told me it's because he would really like to know because he's come to believe that God is there, that it does matter, that our behavior matters. He he would like to know for sure that he would go to heaven if he died. Man, like that's the deep stuff, right? And as we talked, it struck me that his goal was to do as many good things as possible, obey as many rules as possible, keep track of the square as much as possible, knowing that he couldn't do it all the time. He hasn't done it all the time, but hopefully that will be good enough. But you see, the picture that the Bible paints is that every little mistake, every intentional rebellion, every time we choose selfishness over serving others, tilts that building a little more. It's not perfect. We can't fix it. And so as David and I sat there, we spent about an hour um, actually looking at one of the biographies about Jesus uh, written by a guy named Luke to see what does Jesus actually say for himself like if it turns out this is true what what did Jesus actually say? and Jesus described for his disciples, his followers, his friends that the way to know for sure was to trust him for their forgiveness because Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died the perfect death. Although he had done nothing wrong so that he could pay off the debt, make us even, square us up with God again. And then he rose from the dead, the Bible teaches, so that he can give us eternal life. So that we would know that the things he said were true because he even overcame death. So to know for sure is not to perfectly complete the square, but to trust Christ for his perfection, to trust Christ for his forgiveness. So David and I talked about this for about an hour and and um, kind of a good tool, you know, you always try to ask people, repeat that back to me. What did you learn today? What are you thinking? What what questions do you still have? And And so I just asked him, so after everything we've talked about, what Jesus himself said, how would you say you can know for sure that God is pleased with you and that he has a home for you in heaven? And David looked me right in the eye and he said, well, I guess that's the question, isn't it? (laughs) And I don't laugh because he got it wrong because I wrestle with that all the time too. Catching myself, trying to stay in the square, fighting to make the square smaller, fighting to figure out where did those lines go and what if God's mad at me? And, but just a couple weeks ago, David and I were talking again, walking around the pond out here and doing that social distance thing. And I asked him again, because he'd been wrestling with some of the things that have happened during the COVID season that have really screwed up some of the stuff in his life. And it can feel like, is God mad at me? Is he taking it out on me? I said, David, how do you know that God isn't mad at you? How do you know that he's pleased with you and that he's got a home for you in heaven? And now his words are different. Well, because Christ has forgiven me for the mistakes that I've made, the things the Bible would call sin that break my standard, let alone God's perfect standard. You see, now the pressure is off. We're free from the burden. In fact, that's really the way that we experience that freedom, is that in Christ, you can be free from justifying yourself. Well, now practically, what does that mean then? If if everything I've ever done wrong that some of it I probably didn't even realize it, past, present, and future is all forgiven, then just kind of chill, do whatever I want now, and, and uh, wait till I die, and then go to heaven? Well, Paul actually anticipates this too, because he doesn't want people to think that freedom means do whatever you want, right? Like, we're not set free to go get hit by a car, or to go get bitten by a big mean dog. So, a few lines later, he offers them this advice. He says, you brethren have been called to liberty, right? Freedom in Christ from trying to justify yourself. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So basically what he's saying is, don't say, well, I I can't do the square perfectly anyway, so behavior doesn't matter. Well, no, God still cares about the guidelines because they help us avoid the things that are gonna hurt us or hurt others. They help us pursue the things that are good for us, good for others. But you have to be careful because otherwise this just becomes another form of legalism, right? As if to say, well, now that I'm forgiven, it's my job to maintain it. Now that I'm saved, it's my job to, to, to keep that going. When what Paul wants is for us to rest in the freedom of Christ. And then because we're following his lead and following his love, enjoy each day in that freedom pursuing the things that are good for us and others, not using it as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, here's an easy example of what that could mean. If you think about making something an opportunity for the flesh, kind of strange language, but it just means don't be selfish. Don't take your freedom and think, hey, now I can do whatever I want, right? Because those things hurt us. So, here's an easy example. I remember I think when I was about 10 years old, I went to summer camp one year and I brought my best friend with me whose name was Danny Summer Camp. I know, I went to summer camp with a kid named Summer Camp. And oh my goodness, our parents aren't here. Like we could do whatever we want. We have freedom. But we didn't balance it with responsibility. So what did we do with our freedom? Well, we got pockets full of quarters. We went to the pop machine and we had a challenge to see who could drink the most Mountain Dew. Now, you got to imagine, like 10-year-old Drew, I'm all of like maybe 70 pounds, pounding Mountain Dews out of this machine to see who could drink the most, and the machine ran out of Mountain Dew. So, how do you break the tie when there's no Mountain Dew left? We started adding sugar packets into the Mountain Dew, and whoever can add the most sugar packets, I don't know, is a real man, wins something? Well, you could probably guess where this story ends up. Um, well, let's just say I harmed myself by drinking that much Mountain Dew. My parents had to pick me up from camp early and I laugh about it now, but it was not a good day. right? I've used my liberty to indulge myself and it hurt me. That's the kind of thing that Paul wants to warn us against. He actually gives us a few examples here because God knows that there are things out there that whether we agree with him or not, they hurt us. And some of it can be obvious. Paul talks about sexual indulgence, right? If you're sleeping with someone who isn't your spouse, someone that you're not married to yet, if you're using pornography, Jesus even talks about if those outward things haven't happened, but we entertain lust in our minds, it's ultimately a heart issue that's damaging us. It is damaging other people, whether we realize it or not, and it damages our relationship with God. But he also talks about hate, and, and contentions, arguments. Well, now, how is hate self-indulgent? That sounds terrible. And yet, have you ever had that moment where there's kind of some sick satisfaction in really laying into somebody that deserves it? And it may just be a bit of that wrong kind of anger, that hate, that argumentativeness coming out of us. He talks about jealousy and envy, the way that constant comparison can hurt us. If I'm constantly comparing myself to that other CEO, my company to that other company, my parenting to that other parenting, then I go one of two ways. I either say, oh my goodness, I'll never be as awesome of a dad as that guy. And I get down about myself. Or I say, well, (laughs) at least I'm better than that guy. And I start to have a pride issue. So Paul wants to replace these things. You look back at these verse... And what he encourages us instead is, through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. Instead of trying to justify myself to prove myself to God, instead of giving in to my flesh, to my desires, to all those things that are self-centered, use freedom for serving others. And again, this is not a new square, okay? This is not a guard or a brick wall. This is freedom. Use freedom to serve others. You know, that's really why a lot of the things that we do at Horizon, that's why we do them. Like when we dig into God's word this way, it's because I've, I've felt this in my own life. And I think just about everyone I've ever talked to who's wrestling with who God is for the first time carries this feeling that they're not good enough that God won't be happy with them, that God can't forgive them, that there's too much they've mixed up or they just don't understand. We all experience that at times. But the wonderful truth of the Bible, the freedom in Jesus is that I don't have to pretend I'm good enough. I don't have to keep striving to prove myself as a dad, as a husband, whatever it is. I can relax and admit I've stepped outside the square. I have messed up. And I don't have to pretend that those are good things. I don't have to pretend that they're not there, but I can bring them out into the open. I can let God shed light on them because of his grace in which he gives me freedom. That through Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection, I'm set free from either having to hide or having to prove myself. I can take all of that energy and instead think about what would it look like to serve other people? And so we do exploring services, we do equipping services, we do study groups. And you got to understand, it's not so that you can say, look, God, I went to both services. I I watched them both online and and I even signed up for a group. No, because then that's just right back to uh, make that square a little smaller. And maybe if I do these things, God will be happy. Instead, it's part of the long, loving relationship that God wants with you as his child. So if you hear that, then I want to invite you to this because we are starting Authentic Manhood up again this fall, and we're trying to get really creative so that whatever works for you, you can be a part of this. So it's going to be Sunday evenings, like we've done in the past, Monday mornings, but we also have a version that's going to be here in person, socially distanced, uh, potentially out in the tent, which by the way, is not like a camping tent with mosquitoes. If you haven't seen this thing, even if you just drive by sometime, the tent is beautiful and and so is the property you get to look at while you're out there. Um, We're also going to have an online version though, if that's something that you're more comfortable with. And so I would invite you to this, not because it's one more thing to prove yourself to God or to prove yourself to your wife or your kids or whoever it is, but because the topic this time is a man and his marriage. Awesome, really practical ways that we actually get to see a little bit more of who God is, what he is like, and in light of that, how we can serve our spouse, serve our kids, serve God, even serve the people we work with. So we're bringing in Ken Kington, uh, a nationally renowned, actually globetrotting comedian and just an awesome guy. If you haven't met Ken before, you're going to love him. Like, I suppose maybe I could lead it, but trust me, you want Ken there. And, uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'd love it if even you just went to horizoncc.com slash manhood this afternoon. There's more information there. You can register there too, but not because it's a new square, but because this could be part of your freedom. And you know, it's not just guys, right? Gals, I know that you deal with this too. I can't tell you how many women I've talked to at Horizon, how many of the moms that are here, that we wrestle with the comparison. We wrestle with trying to be good enough. And I was talking with uh, a mom from Horizon just a couple of weeks ago, and she's somebody who's been very successful in her career to the point that people come to her for advice in that field. You know, she would say that she and her husband love each other. They love their kids. And yet there's this constant pull to feel like she's not good enough. That can lead to frustration. That can lead to depression because maybe yesterday my career's going well. Hey, my kids were obedient today. I'm good. Life is good. God must be pleased Today, Things in my career aren't going as well. And I cannot believe these kids are this disobedient. How many times have I told them? And she starts to feel like maybe I'm not okay after all. But what really encouraged me, because I I know that I need to hear it too as she spoke, is that she described how in God, she found a father who was perfect for her. That the pressure's off it's okay that she's not perfect. So while she wants to do her best, while she wants to be the mom that she feels like God has made her to be, that she wants to succeed in her career with excellence like she thinks God has designed, it's no longer a pressure to perform. It's a freedom to enjoy that with God. In fact, she actually shared a verse with me. That verse was Ephesians 2.10, which simply says that we are his workmanship, You are God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see the difference when we know that the pressure's off, and this is not my attempt to justify myself before God. Instead, I rest in Christ and what he has done for me. Then something like this becomes really fun, because I just get to wake up in the morning and say, all right, God, what do you want to do today? with the freedom to enjoy the relationship with my heavenly father. Just like Robbie in our parable, freedom, big dreams, and the relationship with his parents. See, that way we also find freedom to love ourselves. When I understand the way that God loves me, it's not just that I go try to love others to prove something to him or to myself, but, I actually find freedom to love myself. In fact, Paul says that very same thing in the very next sentence, that all the law, if if you really want to talk about the law, if you really want to talk about the intention of God's heart, here it is. It's fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That when you understand how God loves you, what Jesus has done for you, then you first have to love yourself to believe God that he's right about you. That whatever's in your past, whatever you may be wrestling with right now, whatever pitfalls and traps and, and, and hit by a car and bit by a dog and big dangerous road things you've fallen into, he loves you. And he says that through Christ, you are enough. You are squared up with him. Then you have the freedom to go and love your neighbor. No more guilt. No more shame, no more pride, no more burden. So can I suggest a key takeaway for us from this passage today? Let God square things up. Let God square things up. Because I love it when I hear people say they're spending time with God, they're spending time in the Bible, and a couple of guys from my study group, for example, who who found this freedom one guy is retired businessman. Another guy is a retired surgeon. And the two of them, at least pre-COVID, went every week to a juvenile detention center. <laughs> Why? Well, not to prove something to God, not so that when they get to heaven, they can say, hey, just you see how many times I went to juvie? <laughs> but because they want to tell those kids, hey, I know you stepped outside the square. Let me tell you about a God who loves you. Let me tell you about Jesus. God come to earth to forgive you. You know, because it's wonderful to be able to serve other people, but it starts at square one. That we are squared up. That you can know for sure that you are squared up with God. No longer trying to be good enough, but enjoying the freedom of the relationship with God through Christ, through His forgiveness. That every day you can. Seek to avoid the bad, pursue the good as a relationship with God. If you've never experienced that before, if you have never understood it that way before, then I would invite you right now, maybe you just want to pray these words. Because we're going to hear a closing song about freedom that speaks very clearly of this for you. So maybe you want to pray this way and listen to that song as a celebration that the pressure's off. Let's pray. God, I know that I've stepped outside the square more than once in my life. Maybe I'm even outside it right now. But in this moment, I want to say that I'm done trying to justify myself. I accept your forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.